What's going on, everybody? It's your co-host here, Kenny Buller, on the Second Floor Podcast. I would like to, first of all, thank you all for continuing to follow our journey as we discover and unfold tips, tricks, and strategies on how to optimize your life, your business, and your health beyond the 9 to 5 grind. Today's guest is a very special guest. He's somebody by the name of Jarrett Johnson. Uh, Jarrett Johnson, my apologies. And he is someone who I aspired to uh, really want to connect with when I worked at the time at TELUS as a regional marketing manager. He was working on the internet of things as a sales executive team lead. And he is now working at Insight as an enterprise and public sector executive for their sales team. He has over 20 years of experience in the sales game, and for a long time now, I wanted to figure out who was going to be our very first guest to have such an incredible amount of passion, but also experience and insight on um, what it looks like from the perspective of a sales executive and you know the nuances behind how they look at um, how they are perceived and how they manage to move the needle forward. And a lot of it having to do in our conversation with uh, on, on this episode regarding, first of all, how you can manage those relationships that you have with clients. And the second thing is, you know, making sure that you're being your most authentic self when you are delivering a product or service. We talked a lot about with Jarrett, you know, how to be honest with yourself and your clients and how to make sure that whatever company you're working for, you're looking at the people that are working with you as opposed to the actual company itself. And we do a deep dive in getting comfortable with the uncomfortable especially during this time in the global pandemic that we're in, a lot of us had to pivot virtually on doing some of our sales calls, on presenting something to our teams, whatever it might be. We actually go in on some strategies on uh, what you could do in a virtual capacity when it comes to uh, selling whatever it is that you're you're delivering as your product for those of you who are listening. Uh, this episode is really meant for those who want to do a little bit of more digging on what it looks like from uh, you know someone's perspective when they're in the game of sales. Uh, for anyone else out there who is in sales to get some more um, insight on you know how to develop a really strong career out of it, and then from the health perspective, just you know bouncing off on ideas on how this relates so much to those who are in the fitness world and how you could ensure that you're delivering the right results that match what your clients want at the end of the day when it comes to their goals. Uh, super excited for you to turn it tune in. We actually spoke for more than two hours, so prepare yourselves for quite the deep, detailed conversation around um, everything that Jarrett and I have done over the past uh, 10 to 20 years. I really hope you enjoy it. If this episode is something you like, please share it. Please subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on iTunes, on Spotify, send us a review, anything Honestly, guys, your your support goes a really long way, and we wouldn't be able to be here if it weren't for you guys. So hope you like this one. Continue to tune in, and please stay safe. Here we go. So for starters, I want to welcome you to the podcast, Jared. Thanks for coming over. Yeah, no, I uh, appreciate you having me. I think it's um, 
you know, as you uh, said in kind of a pre-call, it's, it's been a long, you know, long time coming and long overdue and, you know, kind of given the last probably eight, nine months of where the, uh, you know, the world is at. And it's, uh, it's good. It's good to kind of have a positive change in, in conversation and, and obviously collectively, uh, you know, we've got a lot of, I think, personality uh, traits in common. So, you know, looking forward to having the chat with you. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that because I find there's already a lot of similarities in individuals who have shared the love for being in the sales industry. And I know we're going to do our best to tie in your expertise in sales with what we've pivoted towards into the second season with re reminding yourself what being healthy looks like for yourself physically, mentally, but also most importantly in the field you're in through the relationships you build. And I want to start off initially with the conversation surrounding what you've done to build really solid relationships with your clients. And I recognize myself how when I look back on the strategies that I've put in place and the debates I've had with managers, with leaders associated with be more people oriented as opposed to task oriented. So instead of the conversation being, what are we doing to sell this client? It's more so, hey, what are we doing to build the relationship? What have we done to build the relationship for you know that symbiotic relationship to feel more organic and for you to feel like you're, you're actually getting something real out of that client and you're giving them what they want at the end of the day because there's, there's just honesty and then the conversation and the mix of it you're seeing who they really are and vice versa. I'd love to know and have you share what, what's that, what that's looked like over the several years you've been in the game. Yeah, I think it, it really goes back to a concept on, you know, I hate the, the term sales because sales is, you know, there's a connotation about it that it's self-serving. And it's, it's all about managing expectations and, and managing relationships with people. And in order for you to, I think, truly drive value to clients and mutual value, right? Because it can't always be one-sided. You have to have the ability to get personal rewards or personal value out of it. It has to go back to really understanding what their personality type is and how do you manage your style and your approach to that personality type. And I think the sales, you mentioned the term symbiotic and I like the term more organic for me personally, because the sales, I was just on with a client last week and we just had this like almost identical discussion about this. It's that if I'm going about things the right way and I'm really having an understanding of, of what it is that you're trying to do and I'm aligning the path of least resistance for you to get to that end goal, then there will be an inherent transaction that takes place at some point either by me to you or you to me. And so 
you really, even in your world as, as someone who comes from, you know, the personal training or, or lifestyle coaching, if you want to call it, because I don't think it's personal training. It's, it's really lifestyle coaching. Very holistic. Yeah. yeah right. I, I think it, it's, if you think about the best of the best in trainers, right? They don't take the same program and apply it to every single client, right? They take what they know based on their understanding and their research and their history on body type, age, fitness goals, uh, work ethic, you know, metabolism rate, like metabolic rate, right? Like they understand fundamentally all of those principles that are unique and individual to those people. And then they tailor their approach that matches what their client's goals are. And then holistically, what is their core strengths? And maybe what is their, you know, their areas of opportunity or areas of, of growth and development. And so it's the same thing, I think, when you talk about, you know, sales air quotes, it's, it's that history, that research the vernacular, the really, the high level understanding of that person's environment and just showing them that you've got a level of expertise and a level of credibility because you've done this before. You know, if you told someone in, in the personal training world, like, Hey, I just worked out with a guy who had, you know, 25% body fat and, you know, he was uh, a working dad and he's 45 years old. And I tailored a program to his work-life balance, and I was able to get him down to 15% inside of six months. People would listen to that and be like, oh, well, that sounds good. Tell me like how you did that, right? It's a case study. It's a case study, sense. right? And, and, and I think that goes back to just your level of, of competency and understanding You know what it is that your customer, like what is their business? And, and at the end of the day, what a value do you have to allow them to grow or expand on that business. And that's a very unique thing when you mention how looking back and understanding that not everyone is going to be treated in the same way. Not everyone's going to have this cookie cutter, oh, you want to lose fat and you want to gain muscle. Well, I'm going to give you what I gave Cheryl last last month. There might be, acceptingly so, certain elements of that program that you'll tie in. Mm -hmm. But now I find the biggest differentiator in let's just say the average trainer or the average sales executive, whatever have you, is from that person to the one who's doing everything above and beyond. They're looking and saying, okay, well, what is the specific problem this person has? You know, what is it that they're dealing with? Uh, for instance, maybe there's a hip imbalance in the training world. Maybe you're recognizing that this small business owner compared to the one you worked on last month, they're on overdrive and they just need something to save their time. And I want to know what are some of the questions you might ask or the things you might do prior to sitting down with that client. So you feel very prepared to make this feel custom. Yeah, I think, you know, you can take it kind of two approaches. So we'll talk a little bit about my world and yeah. then we'll talk a little bit about Love for you to kind share of that. how that would apply in, in your world in fitness and, and personal well-being. I think, you know, I, I've, I want to say that I've had the opportunity to be around like just such a tremendous amount of thought leadership with individuals throughout my career. And they all go back to one common principle. And it's been like this for 21 years that I've been 
in kind of, we'll call it customer relationships, yeah. right? Like that's okay. exactly what it is. It's just customer relationships. It is the ability to do research based on, you know, the internet, for example, right? You can learn a lot from, uh, you know, a customer's annual report, for example, uh, the management discussion and analysis. So in the industry is called MDNA. You can take an extended look at that report and understand as an organization where their senior leadership is, is really tasking each level. And if you think about it as a hierarchy, they give them, you know, almost in a sense, like a specific mandate where the CEO or the president would set a strategy this year, maybe because of COVID, you know, in a customer service industry, it's all about retention, right? Like how do we get people from not panicking and leaving us versus, you know, in a year where people maybe have a little bit more flexibility and cash flow, they're more likely to invest in products or services or take on new approaches or, or really expand their customer market. So you really have to understand what is the current state of your customer. And in, in your world, it's almost the exact same principle, right? If someone comes to you for a collaboration on setting an agenda, it, it could be, you know, they say like 80%, 90% of it is diet, right? So, you know, understanding where someone is at just by having a conversation around like, what are your eating habits? You know, do you graze? Do you snack? Do you fast? Do you intermittent fast? Uh, you know, do you do keto? Do you not do keto? Like, what is it that that is important to you? Or what are some of the principles that you've tried? And maybe you failed. And then you can take that same logic back to a business conversation, right? So when you're having these conversations with an individual, you can relate it back and, and it gives you surprisingly a lot of credibility because it shows that not only when you're in a customer conversation are you listening, but that you're really trying to be that liaison to a problem that they have and the ability for them to solve that problem. So if you go back to the annual report or, you know, you're doing research on them and you, you've read a news article, you know, recently this customer lost $100 million worth of, you know, customer subscriptions. Okay, well, that at a high level might seem really, really like drastic. It could be crippling for some companies, but maybe other companies, it could, there's a, a further story to that. Maybe they took money out of, you know, customer growth and put it into R&D. So they're thinking kind of phase two, phase three, right? And so when you get in those opportunities, it just gives you the right to ask the questions and I think one of the questions that I think is always important to go back to answer your original ask was, you know, tell me a little bit about like what is really top of mind in your environment related to X, Y, Z that right I've now. read that it's important, right? So, so you're asking a, a question about, you know, call it current state, but you're really relating it back to truth be told, what, what is the business in their world, right? Asking for, what are their customers asking for? What are their internal stakeholders asking for? And it gives you a level set based on what you know externally, i.e. what you've read on the internet or you've done your research or you've talked to people on the outside looking in and being able to draw inferences back out to what's actually going on internally. Yeah, wow. It, 
reminds me so much of recognizing how you need to ask and know your client from the perspective of what are you doing to keep what you have on, on the retention piece of mm -hmm. what you asked. And then from where you believe you could come in as an expert, so you know what you could do to help the person out, it becomes, okay, well, where are the gaps? You know, where where can I come in here and know what you're doing right? Because let's, let's face it, what's keeping you afloat right now, there's clearly something that you're still doing that mm -hmm. you should keep doing. Let's, yeah. let's acknowledge that. And I find when it comes from the accountability perspective, this is where I like how our, our worlds collide is, when you have sold this minimal viable product for a business, you want to make sure that at the end of the day, you're asking yourself, okay, well, what am I now still going to do to hold them accountable to ensure that this product is actually making a difference in their business? Yeah. And, and how I relate to that from the personal trainer perspective is I always tell my clients, Jared, I say, listen, I'm with you for maximum three to five hours a week. That's, that's a fraction of how much time you actually have and a fraction of, of how much I get to see you. Mm -hmm. And then I want to ask, well, what are you, what are you doing outside these doors? What's working? What's not working? And let's talk about it and let's ensure we build upon those and build and better habits Let's stack habits bit by bit. Mm -hmm. It's a great point that you make about mutual accountability uh, because there's two elements of that, that I think are really, really important to note. One, you have to have a customer that's willing to, to uh, spend time with you. And it takes time to build that relationship up where they trust in the fact that you're actually gonna go and have that takeaway, right? So you think about the example that you just shared where you, know, you reference three to five like hours a week. There's a commitment outside of those three to five hours that they take the principles and the foundation that you're really you know arming them with and they're going to apply their own commitment outside of that right and so if you think about it in a customer environment the second element to that is in mutual accountability if i give a customer the information that i think is going to allow them to get from point a to point b in the path of least resistance um, maybe with you know not always the the you know the cheapest or least expensive uh, but I think it's the one that I would say would make most for them sense for them. They have to be willing to go back and do a sanity check, right? And they have to have that willingness to say, you know, I think there's something to what this person recommended. Let me go and validate it on my own and do my own research, my own understanding of what it is that this person recommended and why did they recommend it, right? And I think the only way to give people that motivation to do that is to give them examples of exactly how you've taken a similar approach with someone similar, similar size in your world, you know, similar body type, endomorph, ectomorph, mesomorph, right? Similar approach. And you say, okay, well, you know, I did this for these type of clients and here's some of my success factors. And you don't need to say, well, you know, hey, John from down the street, right? You could say, well, hey, I took you know, a, a mother of, of two who, you know, just had baby number two 12 months ago and she was really struggling kind of, you know, with, you know, postpartum, right? And, and, and the mental drain of, of being a mother and not having enough personal time. And I was able to give her a plan that allowed her the flexibility and the accountability to go back. And in her world, in her environment, 
be able to take what you've given her and she trusts in the fact that what you're recommending for her is actually going to work. And the only way that you can truly do that is to give examples or share examples of success stories, right? Yeah, that, that, that's big. And I find that naturally comes with the experience. And I know there's going to be some listeners out there very much so like how I felt even jumping into the fitness industry where you deal with that first level of resistance and you can't fall back on those case studies because you simply just don't have them. You're a brand new trainer. You're a brand new car salesman. You're a brand new consultant, whatever it might be. And you know what you're recommending this client based off of your years of studying how to help this person out or just let's just say your intuition on knowing what's going to help them yeah they go you know what and and this is like the the financial value aside they go you know what no i don't want that this is what's right for me i want this yeah and you know that that's just it's not really the best thing it's like it doesn't work in their favor you know with their goal that they told you that they want to do you're recommending that they train this certain way yeah. or you give them this certain service or product yeah. so i'm wondering on your end jared if you can go back to a time where you dealt with that heavy level of resistance from a client maybe this also might tie in that relationship factor or not and they just weren't biting they said listen jared we're gonna do we're gonna do this and if not you don't want us to do it see ya we're gonna go to the next guy who'll let us yeah. And you just know that at the end of the day, that's not even going to do half of much of the results they're looking for compared to what you know is going to work for them. Yeah. And I think it goes back to, if you think about the ability now and the access to information, most of the time in every client situation, doesn't matter if it's in enterprise level sales to car sales that you referenced, they say like now it's something like 97% of the people know what they want before they get to whatever it is that they're trying to buy, Big right? Time. They've done their homework, they've done their research. So it's not about changing their mindset. Even though, you know, you think that, hey, a customer might not necessarily making be making the right decision. It's not about you saying, gosh, you know, Mr. Customer, Mrs. Customer, I think you're going down the wrong path. It's about help me understand why you chose this path. And would you be open to understanding that there might even be a, a simpler path for you from getting point A to point B? And I used to do, you know, work, I think roughly like six or seven years ago now uh, in public sector. And the big thing at that time with these particular clients that I was working with was like an adoption of, you know, a technology that like literally it's just, it's such a big platform that customers would only get like five to 10 to 15% of the way through. And they'd have hundreds and thousands of dollars dumped into this particular, uh, you know, platform and have very little to show for it. And they were set because they thought, okay, well, this is the past. I read this, you know, this report, I talked to this individual, and they're gonna get me from 15% to 20%. But it's not about those little gains. It's about if you're able to take what a customer's mindset is and add a layer or an approach to that mindset that gets them, maybe they go from 90% of their success rate to 95 or 97. That last five to 7% 
is really all you need to do to truly differentiate value. Because if a customer knows their path or they have a sense of direction on where they're already going, a lot of times it's just about giving them the right resources to get them over that hurdle or that hump rather than trying to take all of the hours and all of the research and resources and money and time and effort spent that they've already done and trying to alter that or change that or displace that. Maybe you just give them that extra nudge to get them over the finish line, which is important, I think, in your world, right? You could have a, a client come to you who, you know, maybe they're already an elite, you know, bodybuilder or, you know, maybe they're running, but they keep getting injured. Okay, well, let's do a little bit of homework on, you know, wh why are you training this way? You're in shape, you're at 7% body fat or 8% body fat, you know, your, your BMI is the lowest that it's ever been. You're running a half marathon or a full marathon or doing whatever it is that you're doing, but yet you have these setbacks. So let's figure out how I can add a capability for you for maybe injury prevention, right? Like, and so if you think about it, maybe they're 90% of the way there and they've done all the heavy lift, they've joined the running room and they do all that. Why would I displace what someone truly values, what's important to them, rather than give them maybe a little bit of information or a little bit of help that gets them that extra, we'll call it like that last leg or, or mile. I really like that because it, it reminds you that they're very much so on a level of progression where if you give all the marbles away right off the bat and they see how much level of commitment that takes, let's start with the 5%. Let's, let's go there. Let's see what we could do incrementally at first. And then we, we, when we revisit that, maybe the program six weeks, 12 weeks, let's go there. Then let's reestablish what your goal looks like. Mm -hmm. Maybe then after just a little bit of a taste of what you give them, they see why it was worth doing it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I want to transition this over, Jarrett, into the whole <laughs> cliche, the customer is always right saying. What do you think of that? You know... It's interesting because I had this conversation on Friday with a customer and I will say that I a hundred percent actually agree that mm -hmm. the customer is always right. When you're in a services industry, they have earned the right to be right. They really have truth, truthfully. And I say that, you know, because you're going to have elements where a customer is sometimes wrong. They, they're, they're just inherently they're wrong about something, but it's not your ability to point out that they're wrong. It's your ability to, as a services professional or someone who's in the services industry, it's not to point out the fact, like you don't want to embarrass someone. You don't want to point out like, hey, you know, I, I really don't think you're going down the right path here. It is truly about understanding the reasoning why a customer is stating a b c or d whatever that is right what is it that they're why, why do they have this opinion why do they have this approach and if you're it's not about asking the right question there's no silver bullet question to draw this information out of a customer but if a customer tells you something and you come back like if you were going car shopping and you're looking for, you know, a brand new 
whatever it was, A4, right? And I was a professional and I came back and I brought you a Hyundai or I brought you a Kia. Yep. Would you want to deal with me anymore? Yeah, you got a completely different product. Exactly, attention. right? And it's not so, even luxury. <laughs> and it's not. So my point is, is that a customer knows what they want. It's your job to be an effective listener and provide them with the right information at the right time that allows them to have comfort in the decision that they're making or have already made is the right or the wrong one. It's not up to us to say you're wrong or you're right. Literally, I, I told this customer this story on Friday when I was speaking with him. I actually made a recommendation for him not to go with my particular organization for a problem that he was trying to solve because of the fact that we had challenges on a previous engagement and we weren't able to solve his problem and we just didn't you know really align the right capability to solving those problems and he presented me with another list of problems and he wanted me to go back and do my homework and and come back to him with recommendations so earning that right to come back and ask for more business I actually came back to him on Friday and in fact just said like, listen, I went back, did my research internally. I just don't think that we're strong enough to meet this capability. And, and here's what the team has said. And so I don't think you're making the right, you know, recommendation to go with this on this particular initiative. And it like you really have to understand that it, it's if I was selfish, I could have maybe given him you know, 60%, 70%, but then why would I deal with someone unhappy? Who's gonna like, I'm not here for short-term gains, right? Like mm -hmm. it's, it's all about, if you go about things the right way and you follow a set of business ethics and providing your customer with the right information at the right time, based on your research, your experience, your credibility, your history with that customer and knowing that like that culture, like there's a, there's a sphere of influence in organizations that you really, it takes a long time to understand how customers like to explore and learn and, and buy technologies. And so when you say like, Hey, you can't tell someone they're wrong when you're on the outside looking in, you just, you can't, it's, you're going to have a customer that's not right, but, in your mind, it doesn't matter. They're always right. You, it's just your ability to take whenever it is that they, you know inherently that they may be not necessarily wrong, but there might be a better way. It's all about how you tailor that message to add value onto all of the work that they've done. Because if you, if you take away all the heavy lift that they've done and all the amount of effort, like what would happen to you in, in a fitness world if you did that? If you knew someone came in and they lifted and they went around and they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on a particular plan and they came to you looking for help and you're like, why did you just do all that? You've got nothing to show for it. How would like, how would that person feel if you just pointed that out? Yeah, that's, it'd be very, very unfair to say the least. And uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, it's neat with what you said because it all tailors back to give your client what they want 
And if you compare it, Jarrett, from a short term to a long term perspective, you know that almost to a degree, if you, whatever you're going to end up providing them now through your knowledge, you mentioned through your experience, through all of that, it may not service them for the best in the long run. I had to experience this at first hand recently when I, you know, quote unquote, had to break up with my client and it wasn't news she wanted to hear. She was super excited to come back with me. It threw her off. It came down to two things, and this might tailor off to a completely different conversation too. It came down to valuing my time and what I could do, when and how. The plate was getting full. I could only serve my clients at a very specific time. Second thing, I think most importantly related to what we're talking about. She recently has been diagnosed with cellulitis. She had dermatitis. She started to have an imbalance in her feet, which caused her to limp on one leg. Myself as a trainer during this period of time, I know with what I have access to, Jared, there is someone better who's going to serve her and give her what she wants, given the variables at play right now. I would put her through what I can. I would be putting in the extra hours off the clock on how I could deal with this specific client dealing with this modality. So I had that conversation. I sit her down and, you know, I say, listen, are you available between 12 to 4? She said, no, I'm not. You know, I have my 9 to 5. I said, okay, no problem. I said, here's what we're going to do. I, based off of what I know, am incapable of being able to help you out right now. However, I am going to transfer you over to someone whom I found who has a kinesiology degree. He knows exactly how to build an appropriate program for you to feel pain-free and for you to get back to the goal that we're trying to chip away at. So she stayed silent just for 30 seconds. It's an awkward silence between us. And I was like, is everything okay? She's like, well, I she's like, this, she's like, it sucks. She's like, you're my ninth trainer. So obviously they're going through it now feeling like she has to tr- like redevelop this connection back to the relationship with someone else. Ultimately, long, long story short, we transferred her over and I'm having Hawkeyes over her program. I'm making sure that I'm behind the scenes. And I told her, I'm still going to be a part of this. I'm just not going to be physically there. And you're better off with the time you're putting in financially working with this person. And it reminded me so much of when you said that you just had to tell the client, listen, you're better off with, you know, without doing this with me. It's not going to serve you in the long run. Yeah. And that level of honesty was not easy to do. You know, it's one less client I now have. It's one less person who looks at me like I was going to be their their go-to savior for what they're dealing with. And yeah, it's just, you have to be real. You have to be honest in these cases. And I learned in the sales world, I mean, looking from the outside in, of course, it's sad when people look at individuals who, who see that what we do is sometimes shady. Oh, that shady salesman. It's like at the end of the day, you know what? Like the best ones who prevail are the ones that are honest because that person's going to respect what you did. And who knows? Maybe through referrals, maybe through coming back, they'll somehow give back or go back to you if the time is right. Yeah, it's it's such a valuable point that you make about knowing when to push and and knowing when to pull back. And um, you know, in in a previous role in a previous organization that I'd worked for, I had countless experiences where there was overlap in you know product or service or partner aligning to an outcome that the customer was looking for, but 
knowing that customer's culture or knowing, you know, the person who would be the project manager or, or, you know, person in that environment, the operations manager that would have to deal with said resource. It's like, no, I, I don't think you're going to like this. Right. And I don't think it's going to be a good experience for you going down this path. And they're, you know, taking a step back, they're like, well, this is your partner. Why did you introduce them in the first place? Well, that's why we give you multiple options so that you can then choose based on the ability for this particular capability or partner or solution, whatever you want to call it, aligning to what's most important to you. But I think you really have to have that conviction that, like, hey, it's it's all good, right? Like if what I'm recommending to you only gets you a par- part of the way there and there's a gap, and I think what your experience will be and the result that you are, it's okay to like literally take a step back and, and let customers know. And I I think that's, you know, it goes back to a lot of the discussions that I've had with a lot of my, you know, I, I referenced them earlier, but like sales managers or or VPs like throughout my career. I remember my first sales role at a university, you know, it was like one of those fun, you know, industry roles and, you know, lots of social activity, lots of, you know, time. And sometimes like you have to understand that there is opportunities for you to push your customer and there's opportunities for you to take that step back And the reason why I bring this up is because you don't know that without someone telling you like as a salesperson, when you've got an inexperienced manager, they teach you to push, 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 Mm -hmm. right? Like if you think about transactional business or transactional companies, phone sales, or, you know, I remember doing a job where I worked for uh, the alumni association for SATE and I literally had to call people like all across the world trying to get donations cold to get back cold calling to get back to the alumni association. And they gave me this script and I got hung up on so many times because of this. And I was like, you know, why am I pushing these people so hard to get back? Like what? I don't even know like what their current financial situation is. And I'm asking them to donate because they went to school there. Like, is this really fair for me to, to try and, like I don't get a percentage of this, right? It's not like I get any money off these people. At the end of the day, you really have to be comfortable in the fact that you're not going to win every opportunity and you're not going to be able to get every sale. And it's, that's okay, right? Like that's not, it's not the end of the world. If you're good at your job, sales and, and clients, it flows organically. Relationships grow organically. And it, and it goes back to, you know, my point of it's if you don't take time to understand their culture and, and you, you know, when you've got a client that you can, there's guys that just like they rely on those subject matter experts or girls that rely on them. Right. It's like you've got once you find a credible resource, you're I'm sorry, but like you're you're going to trust that person if they. If you go and you have a win with that person, doesn't matter what industry it is. If you feel like they solved or you got the best benefit or you got the best value for money, you're going to be willing to listen. 
what if you took that same approach and said, well, hey, I, like you're a trusted buyer. I'm actually going to take a step back and I'm going to just going to pull this off the table here because mm-hmm. I don't think it makes sense. Yep. There's a lot of respect that comes from your client's side because it doesn't come across as self-serving. It uh, probably is the most admirable or one of the most admirable traits as a true sales partner or, or, you know, you always think about, you know, partnership versus vendor or, you know, like trusted advisor. Like you hear these industry buzz terms like trusted advisor versus, you know, vendor. The only way to get there is, is the ability to take something off the table when you know selfishly is going to make a difference for you financially, right? Like, oh, well, if I get this off of, you know, this customer to sign off on this particular, you know, purchase order or contract, I can make X amount of money. Like, I don't care about the money. At the end of the day, the money is the result of going about things the right way. And that is why you have to have that you just have to have that confidence that you're going about things the right way. And that's why you shouldn't have fear ever in pulling something off that doesn't make sense for the customer. What you say reminds me so much of when someone picks up the phone and let's say at the time when, you know, you were at TELUS or even when I was at TELUS, yeah. are they going to go when a problem arises and they're speaking with their wife and the internet's down, are they going to go, okay, honey, we got to call TELUS? Or are they going to go, you know what, we got to speak to Jared? And it just goes to show that you are adding that human level. Like you are, you're adding yourself into the equation. You're not just selling this product. It's coming attached with your opinions, going back to your knowledge, your expertise. That's what they get when they decide to quote unquote partner up and, and, and make a decision in that and in, in buying into something. Yeah. And it makes me think about what your personal level of preparedness looks like going into something. And I'll kind of give you an idea of where, where I'm at with this personally, as well as strategically from, you know, Good Life being one of the most successful gyms in Canada. They believe wholeheartedly in role-playing. You know, you do that with your supervisor. You do that with your other trainers. Let's role-play what this conversation will end up looking like with a potential client. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what I think. I think we don't die on that hill. It's good. It's effective. You practice what a conversation is going to look like. And you get a little bit back to your point about scripts. You get an idea of what you should say, how you should say it. However, you need to add something into that equation. You need to add, okay, well, what would I ask? What am I curious about? You know, I, I had this at the end of the day conversation with a very specific human being with a very specific goal at play. Asking the same question over and over again, each person will get me just like just far enough. Okay. Now what am I asking? And that's to a degree. It's like our podcast, right? There's okay. Well, we, what we should prepare for in the pre-interview, but now, okay. Organically do the conversation. What is something that you just said that is making me curious Mm -hmm. about how I can help and serve this conversation to be better. So I'm wondering your opinion on, you know, role-playing and on how that looks for you in preparing for a conversation with someone when you know there's going to be numbers involved, you know there's going to be a decision that needs to be made. What are some of the things you're, you're, you're telling yourself or doing to be prepared? Yeah, I think, you know, role-playing is definitely 
I think, critical. But I want to make sure that I, I phrase this appropriately. Role-playing is all about foundation, right? And if you think about, um, you know, rest in peace, Mamba, right? Like probably one of the hardest working professional athletes in profession, like in basketball, in the history of the NBA, uh, Michael Jordan, right? And when you like, and I, I've, I'm so blessed and I'm so lucky to be around, uh, you know, ex-pro athletes and, and sales managers who are the best at their game. And the reason why they're best at their, at their game in particular is because they understand it, understood that uh, preparedness was 90% of the battle. So role-playing is an element of, of preparation. It really is. And role-playing allows you to objection handle uh, because you're never going to go into a situation where you just hand a customer something and they're like, yeah, sure, I'll take that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like you even, you, like you laugh, but how many times I've seen people negotiate for girl guide cookies, right? Yeah. And you're like, this is like a, an eight year old girl. It's like, well, what if I buy 10 boxes? Yeah. Will you do this for this? Oh no. Right. Like it's just people want to feel like they get a good deal, right? Like mm -hmm. they want to. And so when you go back to the role playing element, it's critical in sales to understand that you've got a plan and you've got an approach. Role-playing is a part of that plan and, and, and part of that approach. And if you don't go through that process, you are almost in a sense like you're, you look disorganized, right? You, you don't look like you're ready to go through a real-time negotiation of whatever it is that you're trying to negotiate, right? When you go and you, you buy a house, you know what types of houses, sizes of houses, square footage, cost per square footage, demographic of the area, you know, what are the property taxes? What's the community like? You know all of these things that you're going to use Hey, the market says, you know, the housing market is up 11%, but yet mean property houses are down X percent. You're going to use that to your advantage, right? Like in negotiating. So a customer is going to do the same thing. They're going to come back. They're role-playing the exact same way because they've got their teams vetting whatever it is that you've talked about ahead of going into a situation where you're going to negotiate. They've already prepared for you on... Hey, you know, they use it in, in the industry called redlining, right? Like a customer will go through and they'll cross out all sorts of things in your contract. And they've already like, that is exactly, you know, example of a role play. They're role playing contract negotiation by going in and saying, mm, I don't agree with that. Mm, nope. That doesn't make sense. Don't want that. Don't, don't want, want that, that. Don't want that. Don't want that. Don't want that. That doesn't make sense. So they're role playing even in a contractual stage you have to understand that role-playing is mission critical to 
really, really honing in on what is an effective conversation and what is your, what is your customer, your buyer likely to throw at you where they don't want to move to the next stage of consideration. You don't just role play when you're delivering a contract. You don't just role play, you know, there's a reason why you have what's called like project charters. So, you know, you have someone that does project management. What do you think a project charter is for? Or, you know, project managers. That's a role play that they're going through, a checklist, a variable understanding of everything that they need to cover off in order to service the customer from get, you know, point A to point B. They're covering all bases then. Everything. Not missing right? a single step. Not missing, right? And so going back to my original example, it's it's all about foundations and principles of whatever your craft is. It doesn't matter. When I use that, you know, example of being around just great leaders and and top athletes. I'm not talking like just, you know, top, you know, athletes for the sake of like just throwing athletic names out there. It's because you understand what it is that they go and do behind the scenes that you don't see that nobody's watching that nobody knows about, right? Your customer's not going to know, but it will come out organically in a discussion how prepared you are, right? What, what resources did you align to make sure that it was a meaningful conversation? I'll give you a prime example. I'm working through a, a negotiation right now with a particular customer and my team is recommending a, a certain path and I'm not sure if the customer has enough resources to allocate on his side of things to effectively use the resources that we're going to try and align to get him from point A to point B. So I called him and I just said, before we present our recommended path to you and your team, which are ultimately going to be the ones that make the, you know, the recommendation to their leadership for project sign off. Can we do a dry run? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you know, I don't want to put this in front of your team. If it doesn't make sense to you as the leader, as the person who's going to be heading up this project, I don't want to put this in front of you unless it completely makes sense to you. And you think culturally you're going to be able to follow the same path and journey that we're on. And he was like, that's awesome. Actually, I'd, I'd really very much appreciate that. You're like, saving his time. Right? By doing right? Big time. Why would I want to waste? And, and that, you know, going back to your original ask around role-playing, that's exactly what we're doing. We're role-playing with the buyer our recommendation to test for, like, it's a sanity check. Are oh. we down the right path? Right? And it's not like I'm, there's no, uh, other than an hour of his time. And the 10 minutes for me to socialize it before that, I'm not giving him a statement of work. There's no charge for this. It's not like I'm, you know, giving him like an invoice or anything. It's just, here's what I think we're going to do. Here's why I think we're going to do it. Does this make sense for you from a time resources perspective? I love that. It, by doing so, and I'm not too sure if it already happened or not you you get the ability to see how how much excitement is on his end before he needs to address it to his team there was a story in extreme ownership i was reading 
by by Jocko Willink. And the disconnect there was the the leader knew that whatever changes they've put in place was for the betterment of the company and it would make the high earners the 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 hungry sales individuals even more profitable yeah. it would make the bottom 10 extremely suffer because their volume and what they're doing the new commission structure was just not uh, in it was not in favor of them. They, they, they either had to be like, okay, I better, I better put my bootstraps on and I better buckle them up because it's, it's time to get geared up because if I don't, I'm going to make even less than I'm already making. Yeah. And the disconnect came from them not recognizing how or why the leader would do this if it ended up having half of the sales team no longer be a part of the team. So it, it makes you realize that the leader needs to ensure that whatever it is that whatever changes are coming in through the pipe, the team is aware of, of exactly why they're doing that. And I find that that's so beautiful of what you did because you ensured that before any of these changes are potentially going to happen and it's all going to be mentioned to the team, you got to create that incredible amount of buy-in from the leader. And then it's up to the leader at that point, whether you're involved or not, to address it to the team. And that's when Jocko went back to that specific leader and said, listen, I talked to your team and they just don't understand why you're doing this. And she's like, well, it makes perfect sense. You know, our top earners are gonna be able to make more and the bottom few, if they can't handle the heat, then they can get out of the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, we need to do this to ensure that we're selling our products. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I just wanted to mention that because it just reminds me how you need to ensure that everyone is on the same page. And I can't imagine how much time it would feel like was wasted when you're getting all of these people on the same team on a call at the same time. And now you have way more decision makers at play, way more questions coming into the door. But at the end of the day, who's going to make the final decision? How many cooks in the kitchen, right? <laughs> yeah. How many cooks in the kitchen? And, and it's a great, I think, point that you do make because you have to remember that when you're in like for example i'm in in technology sales there is a thousand iterations of my organization that are calling these same individuals and asking for the same amount of time right so you've got to be respectful of the fact that people already have limited time then you have to take that a step further and understand what is the current environment of the world Right, like we talk C nineteen and and the challenges that that go around that. But you know, I'm so thankful and so blessed that I'm in an opportunity to work for a company now that is willing to invest in resources in and hire individuals like myself during the middle of a pandemic. Right. If you think about all the people out there that have lost, you know, jobs or or family members. It's, it's a challenging world that we live in right now. And you've got to be really, really, I think, understanding and, and empathetic to uh, what might not be on the surface. There could be a lot more in your customer's mind, their personal life that you're just not privy to. So you really, really want to make sure that you're not wasting anybody's time yeah. because it is important now, I think more than ever, you know, what these last seven months ha have shown you is it's all great to high five when everything is going well 
and you know everybody's happy and everybody's safe and you know we're not in a lockdown or whatever that's coming next it's even more important when things are challenging to be a resource for not just your customers but your friends your family you know you have to be able to be the one on the other end that just takes a step back and really really tries to understand like what's going on in that person's world and the reason why i make this point is because everybody's time now is is scrutinized and and everyone's calendar is under a lot of pressure and every organization is like going through the same thing every industry is going through the same thing it's all about how do we make sure we're as lean as possible but still profitable right and so if you think about that in terms of your world right i i work out at the city of edmonton you know and i work out at commonwealth stadium and and i go there uh four days a week you know at 6 a.m and and i work from 6 a.m until 7 15 and work out i work out yeah, yeah work out and i look around and there's one personal trainer right and there's not a lot of people in the gym skeleton approach right and and so you have to understand that this is just a microcosm of industries and services that are all getting chewed up and and unfortunately spit out because of what's happening in our world and so i'm okay with like knowing the fact that i've got an organization who has done just a a spectacular job of of giving me the opportunity to you know support my family and and um you know given me the opportunity to continue to work from home when i have an 18 month old you know and i've got a you know a little princess coming you know in february it's awesome there's a lot of people that that don't unfortunately have that same opportunity and so that's why i really firmly believe in that not wasting anybody's time and that's why i love going back to that example i just used there like that's a real life example in the last three days they appreciate just making sure that everybody's going to have pressures. I don't know what my customer, like what is resource team. I have another customer that told me two weeks ago, they laid off 65% of their operational technology staff, 65%. So I was like, okay, well, I don't know how many is that, right? Like what is 65%? And it was something like 38 people or 40 people, right? So when you know that there's people that, that are losing their jobs or getting packaged out you've got to make sure that you're just you're honing in and you're you know you're really really doing a sanity check with your customer like hey you could lose your staff you know you already have a limited stretched resource team going through c19 right does this align to you in terms of your resources right now 